Um, yeah, if you have a Bible with you, um, I'm actually going to ask you to go and flip to Psalm 63. Um, we'll be in verse 3 this evening, but I'm going to actually now talk about those first two verses to give us some context. So as you're flipping there to Psalm 63, um, let me introduce myself really quick. Most of you, my, uh, myself, my wife, my son, um, we've gotten the pleasure of meeting, but uh, most, uh, many of you guys, we still haven't yet. So uh, my name is Chris Xiao. Uh, my wife's name is Courtney. We have a son. He was almost two years old. Lee, they're both sitting back there. Uh, another boy on the way who's doing, uh, doing June. So um, pretty exciting stuff in our family. Um, we're still relatively new to the area. So we, we actually just we moved here from East Asia a little less than a year ago. And so I um, wanted to bring that up just because it wasn't our plan to be here. Um, but we're really thankful to be here. And we're really thankful for UBC. We're really thankful for this church. And so just wanted to say that before we, we start. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into Psalm 63, verse 3. So God, we just thank you. We're thankful to be here. We're thankful for this moment. We're thankful for your word. And we're thankful that your steadfast love is better than life. And God, we pray that that would be true. That would be a genuine cry of our hearts. Your love, O oh Lord, is better than life. May our lips praise your name. So we pray that you would teach us this morning or this evening, and that you would even transform us. We put this in your name. Amen. All right, so John mentioned actually this morning uh, the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it's a really important question. What is the chief end of man? In other words, at the core of our very existence, when everything is said and done and at the end of our days, what was the point of all of this? Or what is the point of all of life? What is the chief end of man? It's no small question, but the answer to that question can be found as a theme, right? That, that is kind of woven throughout the entire Bible. That man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That that's what life's all about. Man's chief end is to glorify and to enjoy God forever. That's what we were created for. And this glorify and enjoy language, another way to put it, is that we were made to worship God. And what I mean by worship is we were made to respond to God for who he is, for what he will be doing, what he is doing, what he has done, namely his power and his glory. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But my point is we were made to worship God and to respond to him with praise, right? So why am I talking about these things, worship and praise? Because I believe that that's exactly where we are in our devotional verse tonight. So this is David, King David. He was the king of Israel at this time. He's in the middle of, he's praying, really. He's talking to God when he writes this psalm. And he says what we see in Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David says, God, your love, it's steadfast. It's unchanging, right? It's unwavering. Like you couldn't possibly love me any less and you really couldn't possibly love me any more. Your love is infinite, and it's steadfast. It never changes, and it's better than life itself. And then David goes on. He says, therefore, my lips will praise you. So what is David doing here when he writes this kind of psalm, when he writes especially this one sentence? Well, he's worshiping, right? The praise that is coming forth from David's lips, it's an overflow of what's going on in his heart. It's springing forth from his heart. 
So David's words, it reveals his, his praise, and his mouth reflects his heart. And we know this from Matthew 12, 34, right? That says that the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is how we know that David's heart is worshiping in this moment when he speaks, my lips will praise you, God. And just to give some context behind this comment, David is writing this down, but he's in the desert, and he's in the middle of a region called Judah, and he's on the run, most likely actually from his own son, Absalom, who's trying to hunt him down and kill him. And we get this from verses like in verse 9 where David is saying, he's talking about people who are seeking to destroy his life, seeking to kill him. And we even get a little bit, a little bit of the backstory in 2 Samuel chapter 15, um, the backstory to this psalm. So when David says, my lips will praise you, this is the background. David is in the midst of one of the greatest moments of crisis in his life, and he says, your love, God, it's better than breathing. He's worshiping, right? From the depths of his heart, David worships God. And so what I really want to do with our short time tonight is I want to talk about specifically how David got there. How did he get there in the moment of one of his greatest moments of crisis? He worships, he glorifies, he enjoys God. How did he arrive at this heart posture of worship that we see here in verse 3? And then secondly, what does this mean for us as Christians? So that's kind of where I'm going tonight. And we're going to answer this pair of questions kind of together as we walk through really um, Psalm 1, 2, and 3. So um, those first two psalms, Addresses, they give us clues to the answer of that question that I'm asking. How did David arrive at verse 3, where he worships? So let's look at the intro. It says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness in Judah. And then verse 1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul sells for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. And that's what leads him to the verse we're focusing on tonight, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So verse 3 is our focus, but those first two verses, right, they give us helpful clues in answering that very question. How did David arrive at verse 3? How did he arrive at this heart posture of worship and say, your love, God, is better than life, my lips will praise you. So let's first notice how he starts. Verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. You're not just a possessive, a distant God. David says, you are my God. And David's use of possessive language here, it's not as much a statement of ownership as it is a statement of intimacy, right? David is preaching to himself. He says, I am yours, God, and you are mine. And there's limits to this analogy, but it's like sometimes I'll actually I'll pick up my son, Lee, And I'll get really close to him, and I'll softly say to him, I'll say, hey, Lee, hey, 你是我的儿子,我是你的爸爸. Lee, you are my son, and I am your father. And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm not trying to teach my son what his immediate family tree looks like. What I'm trying to teach my son is, hey, Lee, you and I, we intimately belong to one another. You are mine, and I am yours. And I think that's what David is doing here. Oh, God, you are my God. He's reminding himself because we so often forget, right? The Bible repeats itself so often. 
He says, God, we intimately belong to one another. No one can separate us. No one's going to snatch me out of your hand. So back to that question, how did David arrive at verse 3 where his heart posture is worship? Well, first, he preaches to himself, right? He says, God, I'm still yours. No matter what, you're still mine. We intimately belong to one another. And so what does this mean for us as Christians? How do we arrive at David's heart posture of worship that we see in verse 3, even in our moments of crisis? It's the exact same way. No matter what is going on in our lives, whether it's sin that we're dealing with or shame or hurt or danger or crisis or brokenness or whatever it is, we've got to first call to mind, oh God, you are our God. Because of Jesus, I am yours, you are mine, we belong to one another, no one can separate us, no one will snatch us out of your hand. That's the first step we have to take. But then what? What does David do next? Notice those verbs. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. So after first preaching to himself and grounding himself in the fact that he belongs to God and no one and nothing is going to separate him, what does David do next? The text says he seeks, he thirsts, he faints for, and he looks for God. That's what he does next. He seeks, thirsts, faints, and looks. And these verbs, they don't give you the impression that David is hurrying through some sort of 15-minute quiet time with God, right? He sounds like a man who's like desperate for more of God. And again, remember, he's on the run, and he's in the desert. So what he needs is water, right? Or shelter, or provisions, or help from God, right? Well, not ultimately, He's not actually ultimately longing for those things. What David is longing for is God himself. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, God. I have looked upon you, God. So back to that original question, how did David arrive at that heart posture of worship that we see in verse 3 where he says, my lips will praise you, God? Well, he earnestly seeks after God. That's what he does. He desperately longs for him, not merely his gifts, not merely his provisions or his help. The great reward that David is after here is not ultimately relief from his crisis, but it's God himself, even in the midst of his crisis. So what does this mean for us as Christians? It means that if we long to worship God, just like David does in verse 3, we too must earnestly seek him, which means we've got to fight for and protect quality time spent alone with God, right? In his word, in prayer. And not only that, but we've got to prioritize time with his people. Because notice David says here, I have looked upon you, God, but where? It's in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary was a place of corporate worship. So likewise for us, the corporate gathering of the church is actually one of God's ordained means for us to seek him and for him to reveal himself to us. So if we want to worship here, or like David does here, we've got to seek him too, in his word, in prayer, and with his people. And how else can we arrive at this heart posture of worship? I think we need to be desperate for him, and thirst for him, and long for him, like David does here. And the catch is this thirsting and this longing from our hearts, 
these are actually things that we can't manufacture within ourselves, right? So if our heart doesn't actually long for God like David's does, I think it's okay. We just got to be honest with ourselves and have to say it, but also plead with God, confess it to him, ask him to give us such hearts that long for him. And what's beautiful is this, that our God is a faithful God, isn't he? And he's gracious and he's powerful enough to give us such hearts. So let's plead for hearts that desperately long for and thirst for God, just like David's here, if we want to worship him like David does here as well. And when he answers our prayers and our pleading, he will lead our lips to praise him, right? Here's the last detail I want to call attention to. It's, it's, it's in the back of verse 2, uh, right before we get to verse 3, and it says that David beholds God's power and glory, right? So he's not just glancing, he beholds. He's not rushing through seeking after God. What he's doing is he's fixing his gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And as he does this, what does David see? The text says David sees God's power. He sees God's strength, his ability, his infinite wisdom, his sovereign control over all things and all circumstances of life. David first sees God's power, but then the text says what? David sees God's glory, and that's his beauty and his majesty, his righteousness, his holiness, just his utter perfection. David sees God's goodness and his grace. And as David beholds God's power and his glory, how does David ultimately sum up what he just saw? Steadfast love. That's in verse 3. David ultimately sees the manifestation of God's power and glory in God's steadfast love. And in seeing this steadfast, unchanging, unwavering love of God, David worships. He says, it's better than life. It's better than breathing. It's better than water in the desert. It's better than safety. It's better than my throne. It's better than life itself. What David is doing is he's worshiping. And so what does this mean for us as Christians? Well, let me, let me review, review really quick. As we call to mind that our God is our God, that we belong to him, that he is ours and we are his, that's verse one. And as we earnestly seek him through his word, through prayer, and with his people, that's the rest of verse one and verse two. Let us also behold the power and the glory of our God. And what's beautiful is this. We have something that David didn't have, which is the entire canon of scripture, right? We have the New Testament. And in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, it says that Jesus is the power of God. And then later in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of our God. So how do we arrive at that heart posture of worship that we see here in verse 3? Well, we behold, we fix our gaze upon Jesus, the power and the glory of our God. He is ultimately the greatest manifestation of the steadfast love of God as well. So this Jesus, he's better than life because it is only through him that we can even have life. And we're not just talking about breath here, right? We're talking about eternal life because we know that our greatest problem is not that we lack water in a desert or any other circumstantial crisis. We know that our greatest problem is actually that sin separated us from the presence of God, from a relationship with the one who made us. And we were bound towards that just punishment, which was worse than a slow death in the desert because it was supposed to be hell. 
eternal separation from God. But Jesus, the power and the glory of God, he lived the perfect sinless life that we were held accountable to live, but we just couldn't, could we? And he stepped in and he, he, he faced the punishment that, we were, that was for us. He stepped in, he took our place through his death on the cross. He paid our debt. This is the steadfast love of our God. This is what we're meant to behold. And how can we know that that debt that he paid was paid in full, not just in part? Because of the, by the power and the glory of our God, Jesus is alive, right? He rose again. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to wipe away all that sin that's in our lives and all that sin that we've committed. He's also going to wipe away every tear, every shame, every hurt, every brokenness, every circumstantial crisis. It will all be wiped away one day. That's the power and the glory and the steadfast love of our God that we're meant to behold. Jesus, and as we fix our eyes upon him, as we behold him, what's going to happen is our lips, along with David's lips, will get to praise him. And our hearts, along with David's heart, will get to worship him. That's how you arrive at verse 3, Psalm 63, verse 3. Because of the steadfast love of the Lord, our lips will praise you. Um, if, you're, if, if you're in here and Jesus is not your Lord and your Savior, uh, you can enter into this joy and worship God as well. This is what you were made for. The way in is to turn from your sinful rebellion against God and to believe that Jesus and his death on the cross is sufficient to pay for your sins. That's all you have to do. And I pray that you would. So let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for uh, your scripture, and we thank you for David and the example that he's made for us, even though he's not perfect, that your steadfast love is better than life. But God, we just confess to you that sometimes it's not the cry of our hearts, and so we pray that it would be. We pray that, one, that continuously we could say with our hearts, God, your steadfast love, it's better than everything. May our lips and our hearts praise you and worship you because of it. So we pray these things in your name. Amen.